This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 51. Me, forgive him. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Jesus is coming. Hello and welcome to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric. Glad you could join us for episode number 51, Me, Forgive Him. And uh, let's see, we're missing Matthew tonight, but we do have Pastor Strobel and Pastor Steve with us. How are you guys today? I'm doing well, thank you. Good to be here. Doing well, amen. All right, so since we last got together, Pastor Steve has been, uh, you've been rather busy, haven't you, Steve? Uh, busy would be a slight understatement, yes. <laughs> that kind of explains some of the reason why we haven't been back with you folks for a while. That, that would explain some of it. <laughs> um, but you're right, uh, there was a wedding, and uh, contrary to uh, some questions we've had, this is not a typical service that That's in the Bible provides. <laughs> no, it's not a service we provide, that's right. So, why don't you tell us a little about what happened, Steve? Well, uh, this has been going on for quite some time, but my daughter, youngest daughter, has been dating Eric's only son. And uh, the 18th of June was the final day when they became man and wife. Now, Eric and I are not only related spiritually, but we are related uh, <laughs> however else way. <laughs> And uh, now we are outlaws to each other, <laughs> so we always have some form of banter we can go back and forth. Hmm. Uh, it, was, it was good because Eric was close at hand. He wasn't sitting uh, away from me. He was uh, right at my left hand. Uh, he was Eric's, or Matt's best man and uh, had a good time. We had uh, made it through the service, praise God. For those of you that prayed for me, I appreciate that greatly. Amen. Because, uh, uh, well, the nerves can get the best of you sometimes, but it went went well, and uh, uh, I'm just happy for them both, and uh, enjoyed the time, and and got a chance to marry my daughter, and get a few smiles and a few tears, and uh, just a good time. Yeah, it was good. It was real good. Now uh, I know the listeners are going to want to know: Was this a uh, arranged wedding? Arranged. Uh, Oh, I don't know how you would term arranged. I mean, I didn't have a shotgun there telling him he had to. Uh, uh, Did but, he have a shotgun there telling him you telling you you'd better? <laughs> no. Okay. No. In fact, uh, it was funny because this first time the groom that I've ever re- remembered the groom amening. The preacher. It was great. He while, sure while, did. While I was up there giving him counsel. <laughs> it was interesting. It was fun. Uh, kept it light, and uh, uh, I'm sure the people there that were not used to uh, Christian weddings were kind of puzzled at what was going on. But but it was it was good. Uh, I don't remember what your original. Oh, the the arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. I, you know. 
I think at one time, off air, Eric and I talked about the possibility of being, you know, in-laws when it was in its inception. Uh, I think even before Matt had asked permission to text my daughter, uh, I think I think Eric said, wouldn't it be weird, wouldn't it be wild if we were related or something like that? So I think that's probably as close as it came to being arranged. So. Do you remember that, Eric? Do you remember I do, that? I do remember that. I just think some, some people probably think, uh, you know, it's one of those old... Uh, Old-fashioned oh, things where they, no. they had the, the the fathers got together and you know planned something. No, I made him work for every bit of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I think he I think he would agree to that too. <laughs> I think. Well, I think they would be happy that I did because mm-hmm. uh, you know. It, uh, for some folks out there, and and letting their children just do whatever they, whatever comes naturally or whatever, uh, sometimes live to regret that. And um, you know, I don't think I was totally unreasonable, but uh, there were certain things that were taboo, mm-hmm. and uh, um, just tried to set the the rules straight from the beginning and. Right prayed that they would uh, acquiesce to my request. So. Amen. Now, now, it only Pastor Strobel out now. Pastor Strobel, I believe you have some, some, some kids that are of marrying age at this point. Are, are we on the right well, track? Well, I, I, guess, I guess potentially they are. <laughs> we don't have any um, uh, prospects in sight uh, of marriage. So uh, my oldest is 23, and uh, I know when the Lord brings the right one along for him, he's ready to... Uh, begin that relationship but Amen. you know it's like me you want, you want to be sure you get the right one and Amen. that's it it's worth waiting for absolutely Amen. save yourself a whole lot of heartache that way well it's not only that but i've got another one coming up so uh my youngest son is getting married in august and i'm also doing that wedding as well so so you're working overtime over there well kind of this summer anyway and uh <laughs> Did it give the preacher a good love offering? To make it a service of that's in the Bible, it is not a service that we're providing at that's in the Bible art. (laughs) (laughs) He could be persuaded if the price was right. (laughs) No, that's what your local church and pastor is for. You guys out there wondering. Amen. So, what else, Steve? Anything else on the? uh, Anything else you've been up to? Well, I, I think I'll let Pastor Strobel do the the next one. Uh, we had something going on the week before. Uh, sometimes I get, have trouble with nerves and things and, and uh, things that I've never done before. And the week before, I was totally out of my element, um, you know, in, at least in the format that it was done in. We, we were involved, Pastor Strobel and I were involved in a debate against some Reformed Calvinists and... Uh, I'll let him go ahead and explain that. I, I think he did a, probably a better job at the uh, uh, debating end of it than I did, but uh, it was a, it was a good time. Yes, well, we we got uh, had a chance to do that as he said the week before that. Let me just—it's been so long since we've been on. Let me just kind of bring things up to date. Since last time we've been on, uh, our church had a uh, good revival meeting, uh, mm. real good services. Um, 
Brother Mark McGahey, who was uh, in school at uh, Pensacola Bible Institute with me. We were in the same class, took preaching class together. He's been an evangelist for, oh, 20 years or so now on the road. And uh, he came through, did an excellent job, uh, really, really good services. We really felt like the Lord met with us and had a good time. Um, just a day or so after that was over, I participated in a prison revival um, in a local uh, state prison. We had good services there. A number of us got a chance to preach. Invitation was given at the end, and uh, some guys came forward. I got a chance to deal with one man um, and uh, talk to him about the Lord. He responded to some of the preaching that he heard, made reference to it, and uh, was ready to get saved. And he uh, asked the Lord to save him, and it was a a real blessing. Uh, After that, um, not too long after that, I think it was the following week, I participated in a family camp where I've been many times. Um, except for, uh, for for many years in a row, except for last year when my son graduated from Bible school. But um, got a chance to preach at that family camp um, along with uh, Pastor Vince Massa, who's from Stamford, Connecticut. Um, Brother Massa is an excellent preacher. He's uh, his sermons are are of excellent quality. He puts them together well. Um, he's he's wise. He's uh, intelligent, studious, uh, and he's fiery. And he's got the, the a great combination of those things. And he got a chance to preach there. Uh, both of us been preaching there for the last um, uh, several years together. And we had good good time down there. The Lord moved and had a real good time at family camp. And then uh, probably a week or so after that was when we had the Calvinist debate yeah. um, in um, at Gospel Light Bible Baptist Church in Gates, New York. Uh, they videotaped it and they audio taped it, and I heard um, from um, Pastor Giardino earlier this week that they um, have finished the editing and they're working on production right now. So uh, that may be a resource that we'll be able to uh, link to or post uh, on our, our website here sometime in the near future. But what that entailed was there were some uh, a number of people that um, Pastor Giardino knew, one in particular really that he knew, that um, had embraced this Reformed theology. This young man used to be in his church and then has gone uh, that way. They would talk about it while he was there. And he's since joined, joined a church that uh, is a Reformed church, as they would call it. And uh, him and another young man especially were involved in the debate, and they had a, a third man who really was really a uh, replacement, and uh, he he admitted as much because uh, one of the guys that was going to come wasn't able to at the last minute, and so he kind of sat up there and held his position, and you know made about one comment or so during the the time, but but uh, he he knew that's really what his position was. But but anyway, we went back and forth. We had opening statements from each side. I had the opportunity to give the opening statement uh, for our side. Uh, we had on our panel uh, Brother Steve, myself, uh, Evangelist Sam Gipp, and Pastor Jeff Faggart, who's from uh, North Carolina. And uh, Brother Faggart is uh, well-versed in um, Baptist history and uh, a lot of historical data and uh, really provided some help in that area in the nice. debate. Uh, Brother Gipp, of course, is... Uh, a champion, as it were, you know, lack of a better term for the Bible. He's a strong Bible believer, strong doctrinally, and uh, he obviously provided uh, real good uh, Bible input uh, in the in the debate. And Brother Steve and myself uh, as well got a chance to to do things. So uh, we had a good time uh, doing it. Uh, it was um, the first time they'd ever done anything like that at the church, and I think it was an educational process uh, for everybody involved. And uh, you know, we we did uh, 
it kind of drug on a little bit longer than we had anticipated. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of uh, getting warm in there, but, but we all, we all persevered and uh, hopefully the end product will be helpful uh, to some people. And just to, Amen. just to highlight it, uh, maybe, maybe sometime we'll do a show uh, on that. If uh, you know that, as I said, or else we'll link to it. But uh, Calvinism, just the essence of Calvinism is that these people that believe that God has predestinated people uh, to go to heaven or to hell, and that an individual has no choice in the matter. It's all been selected by God. And so from the scriptural uh, standpoint, uh, we showed that man does have a free will and mm-hmm. that uh, the Lord did not just select a few to be saved. It's up to the individual. There mm-hmm. may be few that be saved, but the individual gets to make the choice. And um, God, in his foreknowledge, I mean, he knows that the numbers are few, but that doesn't mean that uh, he makes people make, uh, make their decisions. As the scripture says, whosoever will, let him take the water of life uh, freely. Mm-hmm. So that's been going on. And then uh, real quick, uh, we've uh, started our, you know, we're f- full strong into our summer um, and spring and summer street ministries out here uh, where we go regularly out on a street corner. Um, with scripture signs, and uh, we've been doing that for years and years. The people uh, that are around our town, I think, expect to see us out there. In the last few years, I think this is the fourth year, third or fourth year, um, probably the fourth year, they've had this concert series in downtown Lockport bringing in different bands, and we go down there, uh, also have a presence, um, passing out a lot of tracks and uh, talking to people down there. And so that's uh, that's been keeping us busy. Youth camp's coming up. I'll be heading, Lord willing, to Alabama for that. And... um, uh, right at the end of that week as well, I got to go to Pensacola and perform a wedding myself uh, for a young man from mm-hmm. our church who graduated from PBI this year and is uh, getting married down there. He's asked me to come down and do the service. So I'm with I'm with Steve on this uh, busy stuff here. Yeah, yeah, I would say, <laughs> and, and you're also scheduled to uh, to preach at the the blowout in September at PBI Tech. Yes, yes, that's a, a blessing. So that's um, about the third week in September. Uh, down at Pensacola Bible Baptist Church. Matter of fact, um, I'll give you the dates for it. Uh, September the 22nd through the 25th. Along uh, with myself, there'll be a man uh, named Jack Fallour, uh Harley Keck, who's a pastor mm. in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and then Paul Heaton, who is a pastor in Michigan. And um, we see Brother... I've never met him, but I've met his son, who works um, in Toledo at uh, Brother Sal's church. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to being with those men. And then... So, more information can be had at uh, kjv1611.org. You can find out more information there. All right. Sounds good. And now it's time for the quote of the day. Day, 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 day. Pastor Strobel, I think you have a few there. Yes, I got some quotes from uh, Brother Lester Roloff, who was a great saint of God. He uh, preached in Corpus Christi, Texas, and all around Texas and uh, the United States for many years. But uh, he, of course, was the one that headed up the Roloff homes. Um, Some people today around our parts of the uh, country in New York would be familiar with Freedom Village. And Freedom Village was um, advertised, at least it used to be, as a Roloff-type ministry. And I believe uh, Pastor Brothers got a lot of his inspiration, if not uh, direct um, uh, pattern fr- from uh, the Roloff Ministries, although he uh, does it his own way as well. But mm-hmm. uh, Brother Roloff uh, was a man of faith, and the theme of his ministry uh, was living by faith. I had the opportunity to work down there at the Anchor Home for Boys um, some years ago uh, for um, eight months, and um, 
down while, while I was there. Uh, every service, uh, he'd have us turn to number 90 in the All-American hymnal, and that was Living by Faith. Living by faith. And so I've got uh, three quotes about faith and then an additional quote uh, from uh, Brother Roloff. Uh, he says this, number one, uh, faith never pushes the panic button. And I think there's times we'll all need to remember that. Um, he says, faith will make you look for a city when everybody else is looking for a cemetery. Amen. Because you, you can get that sentiment from uh, Hebrews 11 as well. Amen. Uh, and then I like this one. Faith will put you in hot water, but it will keep you warm. Amen. <laughs> and my favorite one, this doesn't do, have to do with faith, but it's, uh, he said this. Keep looking up. Companies coming from heaven. <laughs> yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah, amen. I like good. that one. Amen. amen. So let's see. Matt's not here, so uh, we. I guess we, I can't say too much that I was going to say. I, I thought he might be joining us today, but he wasn't able to make it. He's uh, out with his new bride. I think they went to dinner is what he said. They were heading out. I um, hope that's not a reflection on Jen's cooking. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I yeah, should, you should, you she'll should. probably slap me down. <laughs> you shouldn't have. She's coming over have, the weekend, so. <laughs> we, we could have a post uh, meeting here, right? When this is over, post production meeting and talk about editing. <laughs> talk about editing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, That's pretty good. So, Steve, are you ready to. Uh, do I'm your, ready. Do your episode, me, me forgive him. I, I'm, I have to tell you, I have to. I interested to hear what that's going to be all about. <laughs> well, we'll see. All right. Well, if you're all set, here we go. Well, amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the opportunity, and we are going to be doing, as Eric said, uh, a Bible study on forgiveness. And the name of the Bible study is Me, Forgive Him. And uh, I think we all struggle with forgiveness from time to time. I don't think uh, there's probably a one of us that hasn't gone through a situation where on the inside we just struggle with uh, the fact that someone has done something to us and, and the Bible command to us is to forgive. And um, we sometimes struggle with that. Uh, Turn to a verse of Scripture. I just want to read one verse right now and then make some uh, uh, comments or basically a story uh, of reminder of something that happened a while ago. Obviously, that's a redundant statement, but you'll understand what I mean when I get into the story and how it relates. But the verse is found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And says, uh, verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The admonition there is that we're supposed to forgive as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. So the key there is to find out how God forgives us. And that kind of sets the premise for the study that we have this evening. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful again for the time that we've had. Thank you, Lord, for the conversation and the update that we've been able to give for uh, folks that may be interested, for those that listen. Father, pray that uh, you'd bless this time, bless this study. Help me, Lord God, to give this in a, in a way that's understandable, 
Lord, that uh, would be a help and a benefit to anyone who listens. Lord, for someone that may be struggling, God, I pray that you might give them clear direction in this regard, that they might, be, uh, and they might do what the Bible says to do in regards to forgiveness. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, I want to give you a warning just uh, from the start that this may be a little bit different than what you're accustomed to hearing in regards to forgiveness. And I don't do that on purpose. It's mostly because of when I, uh, some time ago, I had trouble uh, with forgiveness and I went through the Bible to find out what it had to say about forgiveness. And I was mildly shocked to read the things that I was reading as opposed to what I'd heard uh, for many years about forgiveness. The story is this. Some years ago, President Clinton was involved in a scandal with Monica Lewinsky. And most of you that grew up through that time, you know the scandal. I'm not going to go into detail on what that was. But uh, nevertheless, it was a gross and heinous sin, as the Bible determines it, that uh, President Clinton sinned against God, number one, He sinned against his wife. He sinned against his daughter, Chelsea. He sinned against his family, an extended family. And it was also an embarrassment to a nation. And uh, to this day, to my knowledge, I'll have to qualify that, to my knowledge, there has never really been an honest-to-goodness, heartfelt apology for that sin. In fact, it got so bad when he didn't apologize that the Congress eventually impeached him uh, for those actions, and uh, it was uh, it was pretty bad time. Uh, the nation was embroiled in this controversy and embroiled in this scandal, and uh, depending on which side of the political aisle you were on, uh, depended on if you defended him or. Uh, accused him. And uh, it seemed as though those that uh, were pro-President Clinton were saying, well, you know, everybody does it. You know, it's it's only about uh, sex. Uh, You know, you guys are just going after the president. And, and, uh, you know, they were just coming up with all kinds of things, trying to uh, deflect the fact that this man had done something really terrible in the Oval Office with this woman, Monica Lewinsky. And um, the other side was, was you know, charging <laughs> towards the, the, the Oval Office with guns blazing, trying to get this man to, to realize and recognize what an embarrassment he had been. And uh, the talk shows were, were just lit on fire. The phones were ringing off the hook, people one side, people the other side. And the buzzword in those talk shows, you know what that buzzword was? Forgiveness. The, the, the basic premise of the phone calls was that we, well, okay, the act has taken place. We just need to forgive him and go on. And that was, that was the general consensus. And, um, uh, it seems everyone wants to know what the meaning of forgiveness is 
and uh, or, or let me phrase that. No one seemed to know what the definition of forgiveness was. They just knew or stated that they felt that everybody ought to forgive him and forget and, and just go on and just let the thing go. And um, in fact, it got to the point at that time where Billy Graham made a statement, public statement, says, I have already forgiven him. And the question that I asked at the time, which was right around the time that this Bible study kind of took off, was what was the basis for that forgiveness? How could Billy Graham make a statement like that and say that he's already forgiven him for what was the basis for it? What was the reason for it? What was the justification for that forgiveness? Now, I'd like for you to go back into your Bible, go back into Leviticus, and I want you to see some things here in the Old Testament, and uh, these are talking about some of the sacrifices that were made, the offerings that were made. We're going to take a look at at some verses here in Leviticus chapter 4, and I just want to highlight these particular verses. You can go back and read the context. It's not going to affect what I'm going to say at all, but for the brevity of time, I just want to read these verses because we've got a lot of verses to go through. Notice what it says in verse 20, Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 20. And he shall do with his bullock as he did with the bullock for the sin offering. So shall he do with this And the priest shall make an atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. Take a look in verse uh, 26. And he shall burn all his fat upon the altar as the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall make an atonement for him as concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. Take a look in verse 31. And he shall take away all the fat uh, thereof as the fat is taken away from off the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. The basis for forgiveness was a sacrifice that was made. Uh, Without an atonement, forgiveness was not given. I want you to understand that. Without an atonement, forgiveness was not given. When a person brought a sacrifice to the temple or to the tabernacle, it was as much as admitting that he had committed a trespass or committed a sin. He lays his hand upon the animal's beast or on the animal's head. The throat is slit. The blood is shed. The blood is sprinkled. The the depending on the type of offering is made, and certain requirements were made for peace offering and sin offering and trespass offering and so forth. And the priest made that atonement for that individual upon the altar set up the way God designed for it to be, and when that sacrifice was made, there was an atonement made for the sin, and forgiveness was given on his behalf. Take a look in Second Chronicles chapter 7. 
Second Chronicles chapter 7, a verse that people are very familiar with, verse 14. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If, notice the condition, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and shall seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, I want you to understand that God's not up in heaven and saying, well, okay, yeah, they sinned. Let's, let's just forgive them and wipe it under the rug and let's just keep going on. That's not how God deals with this thing. It says there, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. So he's given them requirements. If they do these things, they need to call on my name. They need to humble themselves. They need to pray. They need to seek my face. And they need to turn from their wicked ways. Those five things they had to do, if they did that, then God will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If they did not do those things, those five things, then forgiveness of sins was not granted to them. Now, I know that's, that's it's plain. It's written right there. I don't think that people can really debate and argue that. Take a look in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 36. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 36, it says this in verse 3. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may turn every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Notice the condition is, is there. It says, <laughs> it may be that the house of Judah will hear uh, uh, will hear all the evil that I purpose to do unto them. He says, if they hear all of this evil that I'm going to do unto them, and they return from their evil way, so that I don't, so that I can forgive them, and so that their uh, iniquity and their sin will be forgiven. It's conditioned upon them returning to the Lord and turning away from the evil way. That's the only way that sin can be forgiven. Now, we went through this story uh, a few podcasts ago, um, uh, Tale of Two Kings, I believe, was the subtitle of it, and it's about David with his shin, sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I'm really not going to go through the whole story, because if you want the story, you can go back there to that particular podcast and pick it up. But David sins with Bathsheba, and he's confronted with that sin. Nathan says, thou art the man. Judgment is pronounced upon that sin. But David confesses, and uh, we read through some of this, but I just want to read a couple of verses here. <clears throat> In Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. He says in Psalms in another place, in Psalm 32, verse 5, David says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, 
and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Now, understand that what God is looking for, he's looking for someone who has sinned, and then after their sin, they have a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Someone who is has repented of the wickedness and the sin that they have committed, and they're willing to turn to God, and they will they acknowledge their sin, they confess their sin, they don't try to hide their sin, they confess it before God, and God will forgive their sin. Now, in David's case, when he came clean and he, and he confessed his sin, forgiveness was granted. In the story, God tells Nathan that when he should have died, that God heard him, and God acknowledged his confession, and he said he wouldn't die. And there's mercy instead of sin, uh, in spite of sin, I'm sorry. In Daniel chapter 9, in verse 9, it says this, To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, through though we have rebelled against him. So there's mercy and there's forgiveness with God. Now, obviously, we know that in the story there in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, that there were consequences for David's sin, even though he was forgiven. And uh, that's just the way it goes. That is the Bible illustration of a man who sins, and he confesses his fault to God, and God forgives him. God does not pronounce the judgment that he normally would have, although the consequences of that sin are still experienced. And you say, okay, that's Old Testament, Steve. What about the New Testament? We live in the New Testament, Steve. There's got to be something in there about forgiveness and just wiping the slate clean and just forgetting about it and just going on. All right, let's, let's take a look at some verses in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 6, and verse four, uh, 14, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, if you harbor an unforgiving spirit, God will not forgive you. It couldn't be any plainer. In in what I'm about to say, I am in no way giving anybody an excuse to hold a grudge. I'm not saying that at all. Now take a look at what it says there in verse 15. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Notice there's a condition. It's a condition. If ye forgive men their trespasses, God will forgive you. If ye forgive not men their trespasses, God will not forgive you. The big word there is if. And we've got to see that word. We've got to know that that word is there because it means a lot. And it defines how we're, or it determines how God is going to do something. In Matthew chapter 18, and, of course, this is where people go to, to get their modern definition of forgiveness. It says in verse 21, or, uh, Matthew 18, verse 21, Then came Peter unto him, unto Jesus, and saith, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? 
until seven times. And of course, the Lord clarifies and says, no, until 70 times seven. Uh, Is this really an unconditional forgiveness? And I want you to just keep that in mind as we go through there, as we continue on. I'm purposely leaving this verse as it stands without a whole lot of commentary on it because I want you to just think about it. Is this really unconditional forgiveness, which is what the modern teaching is, in, in regards to salvation? Let's just think on that for a minute. Does God give us unconditional forgiveness in regards to salvation? God says, well, you know, I've looked at Steve, and I'm just going to forgive his sin, and I'm going to let him into heaven. Is that how God does it? In John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It, It is conditioned upon me receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now, in so doing, there's a lot of things that go into that, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But I want to draw your attention to Acts chapter 26. Paul is giving his testimony here. And I want to read just a few verses. In Acts chapter 26, let's begin in verse 16. Now, this is God speaking to Paul. But rise and stand upon thy feet, verse 16, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles uh, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now, Paul's job was to open their eyes and to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Why? So that they could receive forgiveness of their sins. If they did not turn from darkness to light, if they did not turn from the power of Satan unto God, they did not receive the forgiveness of sins. John chapter 3 and verse 36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He does not receive forgiveness unless he believeth on the Son. Now, when a person gets saved, his sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And it's a requirement. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even, or the forgiveness of sin. I'm sorry, let me read that again. I'm getting 
two verses confused. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to his riches, the riches of his grace. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And you, Colossians 2.13, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together, having forgiven you all trespasses. Notice what it says one more time in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, that's conditional in regards to our salvation, but it's also conditioned on our relationship with him following in regards to our sin. We have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All from any kind of sin and all of the sins past, present, and future in regards to fellowship with God and our brethren. It is conditional. Take a look in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, obviously, a saved man, we believe a saved man is not going to go to hell after he's received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. But your fellowship can be distorted and interrupted. And there can be unconfessed sin in a Christian's life if he doesn't confess it to God. If we, Christians, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to bring this verse that I started with back into your mind one more time. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what I want to do, remember that verse I told you about in Matthew 18, verse 21? Matthew 18, verse 21 says, Then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And the Lord answers him till 70 times seven? Let's go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespassed against him, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And uh, verse 4, and if he trespassed against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, that gives 
the spiritual interpretation of Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. You realize the condition? It's It's not unconditional. There's a condition here. If the brother trespassed against him, rebuke him. In other words, tell him that he's offended you. Tell him that he's sinned against you. And if he repent, forgive him. Verse 4 goes on to say, I want to repeat it again, and if he trespassed against thee seven times in a day, and seven times uh, in a day turn again to thee, and saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, I want you to understand, when I say this, I'm not advocating that we should harbor vengeance, malice, bitterness, envy, using it as leverage against him to hold a grudge or anything along that line at all. I'm not saying that at all. So don't misconstrue this. But what it is saying is that forgiveness is based upon a repentance. Someone turning and saying, I have sinned against you. I have wronged you. And I apologize. And I'm asking you to forgive me. In that regard, we are supposed to forgive them as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We are supposed to forgive them. That goes back to that verse that says if, if uh, um, oh, where is it? I'm trying to, drawing a blank here. Uh, Come on, find it. Ah, in Matthew chapter 6. And if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you, your trespasses. If somebody comes up to you and says, look, uh, brother, I'm sorry, I, I've wronged you. I've, I've done something here that's offended you, and I really apologize, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And if you don't forgive him, God's not going to forgive you your trespasses. That's just the plain and simple truth of it. No matter how egregious that sin may be, that brother or sister comes to you and asks you for, to forgive them, you've got to forgive them according to the Bible. And there are many, many brothers and sisters in Christ out there that have their insides eaten out, and they are just beside themselves. They have no peace. They have no joy because they will not forgive someone even though they've come and they've forgiven them. Now, if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, well, somebody's wronged me, and they haven't apologized to me yet, and I'm not going to forgive them until they apologize. Well, I'm... Uh, as as Dr. Gipp would say, hey, bucko, it's on you. You notice what it said there in verse 3 of Luke chapter 17? Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespassed against thee, rebuke him. Now, that rebuking isn't going up there and screaming and hollering at him. He may not even know that he's done something wrong, but you need to let him know. The onus is on you that has been offended. It's in your ballpark. And you go up to the brother and you say, brother, look, you may not have understood or you may not realize what you've done, but you've offended me. You've sinned against me and it's hurt me deeply. And uh, I just wanted to let you know about that. Now, once you've done that, it is out of your ballpark. 
It's in his ballpark. And he needs to acknowledge the fact that he sinned against you and that he needs to seek your forgiveness. You, I tell you what, I can just see it now. Somebody said, you know, you wronged me and, and I demand an apology. You don't need to demand anything. All you need to do, to, to do is to let that brother know, hey, I don't know if you realized it, but you've offended me. You've sinned against me. Now, there are some brothers and sisters out there that have chips on their shoulders asking and begging for someone to knock it off so they can have something against somebody. And uh, to be honest, brother, you've got more of a problem than what I can solve here in this Bible study. But this Bible study and this verse that I'm talking about, it's not for you because you're probably causing more of your own problem than you are in, in, in asking someone to, to uh, uh, apologize to you for something that they've wronged you on. You're, you're probably manufacturing things in your own heart and mind just so that you can have a grudge against somebody. And that's sinful and wrong in itself. We're talking about somebody that does something and whether they realize they've done it or not, it is the onus is on you to go to them and confront them. And if they choose to acknowledge the fact that they've done something wrong and they ask you to forgive them, then you've gained your brother. If they refuse to accept it, if they refuse to take ownership of the sin that they've committed, then it's in their ballpark. I, the legal, and this is the term I'm going to put to it because I don't have any better term for it, but the legal transference of a forgiveness is not necessary until that repentance takes place. Now, that's where I'm getting controversial. There'll probably be some people that disagree with me on that. But I don't see an unconditional forgiveness of their sin for doing what they've done. Now, in that same breath, I'm not condoning that you sit there and stew about it and harbor uh, bitterness against them. Well, they wouldn't admit it. They wouldn't admit it. I'm not going to forgive them. That, that's the wrong attitude. That's wrong. What I'm talking about in going and confronting them, you're putting it in their ballpark in the fact that you've confronted them with it. It is no longer your problem. It's their problem their problem. Whether you get the satisfaction of them saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, that may never come. But you cannot let that eat you away and destroy you spiritually because the devil is just going to sit on that and harbor that resentment within you and you're just never going to get any victory. You, you've got to get beyond that. And maybe that's where people are talking about that unconditional forgiveness. But I just don't see it. Now, you, again, you cannot allow yourself to be eaten alive with that envy and that malice and that bitterness. You have to let it go. Now, whether you let it go by saying, okay, Lord, whether he does it or not, you know, I'll forgive him in my heart and I'm just going to go on. That You could do that. I, I really don't have a problem with that. But I'm talking about that legal transference of a forgiveness between a brother and a brother. As God would do to you and I, 
Do you realize that God has been the offended party in regards to salvation and our sin and being in a lost state? God was the offended party. And what God did is he sent his son down here to be the, the, the propitiation for us, our substitute. And through Jesus Christ sent uh, disciples and Christians as witnesses to take God's um, case to us and says, as a lost sinner, the, the witness comes and says, you have offended God, you have sinned against him, you need to repent of your sin, and you need to trust him as your personal savior so that he can forgive you of your sins and have eternal life. He's the offended party. He comes to us. He presents our, his grievance to us. Whether we accept and repent what we've, what we've heard and we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior is entirely up to us. That legal transference of forgiveness does not take place until there's a repentance that takes place. You follow what I'm saying? God is not obligated to forgive our sins unless we repent of them. And that's what I'm trying to get across. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to give license to anyone to harbor sin and, and sin against God by envying and causing malice and, and, and all of that kind of stuff against another brother or sister in Christ. Notice what it says in Psalm 86 and verse 5. For thou, Lord, art good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Some Bible illustration of this, if you will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Corinthians were allowing a terrible sin to take place in their presence without any rebuke. Paul chastises them for it. And they hold him accountable and, and to his own shame. And then after a while, when he does try to get right, they wouldn't forgive him. And Paul has to chastise them again and let them know because this guy got right, Paul says he forgave him and that they needed to do the same. Consequences of our actions will still take place even though we repent and forgiveness has been offered. Now, I'm trying to get across that we need to own up to the fact that we've done some things. You know, I check myself every once in a while. If someone is acting coolly towards me, if they're acting a bit put-offish, uh, they're not as friendly as they used to be at one time. I try to take a personal assessment. Lord, have I done something? Have I, have I uh, offended them in some way? And in fact, I'll even take it to the next step. I'll go up to them and I'll say, look, uh, you know, I don't know if there's something going on, if I've offended you some way, if I've, if I've hurt you in some way, if I've said something that's, that's offended you. If I have, please forgive me because I don't want our fellowship to be broken. I even try to take the initiative in that regard just to make sure that the way is clear 
and that there's nothing wrong. You know, the president, as I said before, when he committed those sins in the Oval Office, never really gave a clear-cut apology to ask the nation. And he may have done it for his wife and his daughter, I don't know, but certainly not the nation, to forgive him for his actions. David, remember, owned up, and he submitted to whatever God required of him. You know, and again, let me, let me put it this way, and I'm almost done. Your apology can't be like a little two-year-old, you know, where, where you know, mom and dad said, you know, you, you hit your brother over the head with the toy, and you need to apologize to him. And, and he gives this, I'm sorry, and runs away, and, and just, you know, with no heart, no expression of sorrow, no uh, remorse at all for the deed. You know, and just going up and saying, well, I'm sorry. Sorry you got in the way. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Our, 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 our repentance needs to be of a godly sort, not a worldly sort. And the other thing is, is if you are confronted with it and you've done something, don't be in denial. Don't, don't turn to the person and insult them and say, I don't know what you're talking about. If they're man enough or woman enough to come to you and, and with a humble spirit and say, look, you know, you really hurt me. You really offended me in what you said. Don't give off on this denial thing like, I don't know what you're talking about. Admit that you've done something wrong and apologize and get the thing right. Because the ball, once they come to you, is in your court. And the forgiveness of your sins is going to be whether you repent and turn from your actions and the sins that you've committed. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Amen. Pastor Strobel. Amen. A lot of uh, good stuff in there. And, of course, uh, forgiveness is a great theme uh, in the Scriptures. And um, just to echo what Brother Steve is saying, People need to understand that if you're going to get God's forgiveness, it is conditional. There's one of the big um, watch phrases of our time is uh, unconditional love. People mm-hmm. talk about that a lot. And, uh, you know, truthful, the truth of the matter is that if you're going to get in on the love of God, first of all, God's love is conditional. God's love is not unconditional for every member of the human race. The, God's love is offered to you conditioned upon what you do with his son. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you'll come to him, you'll have life, but you'll get that eternal life on the condition of receiving Christ as your Savior. Mm -hmm. Now, once you get Christ as your Savior, then, based on that, from that point on, you might say God unconditionally loves you because he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But prior to that, you can't. Right. And so the condition that he is emphasizing and, had, and, and said as much in the, in the uh, study is that you've got to receive Christ as your Savior, else you don't get in on it. 
when it comes um, to your personal relationship with God as well, and Steve hit on this uh, hit this with First John one nine and some other things. Another verse that goes along with that is Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. It says, "He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy." Amen. And in that verse, as well as First John one nine, is uh, confession. And to confess is um, to admit something, to admit to something. And when we confess something to God, we openly admit it. By, by articulating it with our mouths. And it is a difficult thing to openly admit what you've done, to say, I did this. Um, I've sat in a courtroom where a person was taking a plea bargain, and when they take that plea bargain, they are required to get up before the judge. And I didn't know this until I sat in and saw this, but they're required to get up before the judge and in their own words state what they did. It's more than just signing the paper. And, and, and to get whatever plea they've um, copped to, as the saying goes, uh, they've got to admit out loud openly in, in court with court in session, the recorders writing things down. They've got to put in their own words what it was that they did. And if we're going to get forgiveness from God and get any plea of mercy with him yeah. in our personal walk with him, we've got to openly admit and articulate with our mouths in confession what we've done wrong. And, and we do this with a heart that... Uh, has, as the Bible says, a heart that has repentance, um, not just making a mockery. God is not mocked, it says in Galatians 6, 7. You don't make a, a mock or a sham out of this whole system of forgiveness. You mean it, and that's why Proverbs twenty eight thirteen attached with the confession the idea of forsaking. Because you, you, when you repent, you, know, you recognize you've done something wrong, and you don't want to do it again. Mm-hmm. And you're going to work at forsaking that thing. Um, this... Uh, Part of what you said in there reminds me of the story of the the governor that visited the prison, and uh, he was going around talking to the prisoners, and every time he, he got to talk to a prisoner, the prisoner was pleading his case, you know, he got a bum rap, he was innocent, you know, uh, he had a bad lawyer, you know, and on and on and on. He talked to this guy, and this guy, uh, he was innocent, and the next guy, he was innocent, and the next guy, and he was innocent. Finally came this guy, he said, uh, well, tell me, what, what's your story, you know? And this guy said, I'm, uh, I'm guilty. He said, what? Well, well, all these other guys are innocent. What about you? You're guilty. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Governor. I, I did what they said I did. I'm guilty. I'm getting the just dessert for my crime. And I, I got nothing else to say. I, I wish I hadn't done it, uh, but I did. And, and I deserve to be here. About that time, the governor called the guard and said, uh, Guard, uh, quick, come. Uh, get this guy out of here. This man doesn't belong in here with all these innocent <laughs> men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that yeah. illustrates the confession. Yes. You know, God forgiving you based on you coming clean. And um, if I just add a couple more thoughts, since Matt's not here, I'll take his time too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the other idea that Steve was trying to to get to get you this balance was this thing is there are conditions upon God's forgiveness, but sometimes for our own personal sanity. Uh, we got to let go of things with other people and um, it, it, forgive them from our hearts to, to just get over it. Even if our forgiveness doesn't mean that they receive God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's us getting over the thing. Uh, James 5, 9 says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Everybody's going to stand before God. And so sometimes you know, people have done us wrong. The psalmist said one time it's back there, he said, um, he said, he made this statement in a verse. He said, then I restored that which I took not away. And I found myself that sometimes when I've been wronged, uh, I've got to let it go because if not, it'll eat me alive. And mm-hmm. sometimes I just got to, you know, just say, hey, 
I, I didn't take it away. I'm going to restore it. Like Steve says, to approach and maybe try to work at restoring the relationship, or and even if they don't want it restored, even if they don't want forgiveness, you we let it go so that we can move on mm-hmm. and uh, and go. And I would just recommend, and for time's sake, I won't go there, but I recommend you reading Matthew 18. Steve uh, had mentioned that about the forgiveness, the 70 times seven. There's a story that comes after that in Matthew 18, 22 through 35, about a guy who was forgiven a lot. And um, and then uh, he had somebody else that owed him a little, and he got upset with them. And after he'd been forgiven for this big amount, he goes and takes some uh, another guy by the throat and says, pay me that thou owest. Mm. And when the guy um, who had forgiven him heard about that, uh, he took away his own forgiveness and yeah. cast him to the tormentors. And the conclusion of that whole story was, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts... Forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And as um, toward the end there, I recall Brother Steve mentioning about that thing, letting it go in your heart or forgiving from your heart. And that's mm-hmm. right there, right there in that passage. So uh, it's a key, a key subject. <laughs> Good job. Amen. It certainly is. And I'm sure that everyone listening can think of times that they felt they've been wronged or, or um, you know, have been trespassed against. And, and, uh, now you have the steps biblically from the Bible and on how to handle that, and and um, I'll just give you a a quick personal example of that. Uh, many many years ago, probably twenty five plus years ago, um, a fellow had uh, had said some things and done some things that uh, that hurt, and those years went by, and and. Um, it was probably um, two or three years ago that I happened to be at a church, and he was there with his family. And he came up to me, and I didn't say anything, and, and we hadn't really talked since then. Um, and he came up and, and, and asked me for forgiveness for what had mm-hmm. happened. At first, I just tried to say, oh, you know, don't worry about it. And he looked at me you know, in the eye, and he said, no. He goes, I, I really want, want, want you to forgive me. Amen. And and of course I did, and boy, it was just a, it was just a just a release of just goodwill, you know, just really good feelings between us after that. Not that there had been a lot of animosity because I hadn't seen him, but and my thinking of him certainly increased for yeah. the positive as well. To think that wow, you know, here, here's someone that that remembers that all those years ago and could have easily just have ignored that but didn't and uh, it meant a lot amen amen that's liberating you know mhm yeah we i think we both felt pretty good mm-hmm. <laughs> you know after that so it's powerful stuff you know amen it's good so thanks that's cuz it's spiritual yeah amen good stuff amen well, guys, um, do you think it's about time you check and see if your kids are home now? <laughs> oh, wait. That's all over, isn't it? <laughs> Steve's dialing the phone now. Uh, I'm going to see him over the weekend. so uh, checking out. Yeah. Jen's probably got some more stuff she's got to pick up and things. Yeah. So. But no if you think curfews. about it, pray, uh, pray for us, uh, Dave and I, uh, well, Dave and a bunch of us. Dave's going to be preaching at City Mission uh, tomorrow, which is Friday, 
And uh, then we're going to be going out to uh, a place that people from around here know. It's called Chippewa Street. We're going to go out and do some street work and do some street preaching, passing out tracks and stuff. So looking forward to that. Really pray for them. That's for real. It's for real. It's a wild place. Amen. All right. Well, Lord willing, we'll be back again hopefully sooner than we were this this last time, and we, we should be. So look forward to seeing everyone then. Until then, on that shore, free from all care. press on. Amen. Amen. Rising up in the sky, telling this world goodbye. Homeward we then will fly, glory to share. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will, Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will surely sound All of the dead shall rise Righteous be in the skies Going where no one dies Heavenward bound Jesus is coming soon Morning or night or noon Many will many will meet their doom Trumpets will Trumpets sound Trumpets will surely sound All of the dead shall rise Righteous be in the skies, going where, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at that's in the Bible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on. You better say your prayers, you flea-bitten varmint!